I think trusting the fundamental experience of the LEGO brick is something that has been a challenge for the LEGO group in the past 25 years. We all felt that we should have been doing that game, right? That it was the, it's the one game we should have been doing as the LEGO group, that, that's Minecraft. I think Minecraft is the best LEGO digital experience you can get. There is nothing that can compete with it today as far as I know. And I really hope there will be a LEGO digital experience, but Minecraft is the closest thing we have right now. Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things LEGO games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of LEGO games, chat with early developers as well as seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the LEGO Group. Hi, and welcome to our episode of Bits and Bricks. To set the stage a bit and maybe help tease some deeper meaning into one of the game design project code names you'll hear several times in the journey we're about to embark on, well, I decided to begin with this little cult classic clip from 2004. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a system of self-defense that I developed over two seasons of fighting in the octagon. It's called Rex Quando. That was, of course, the iconic Rex character from the film Napoleon Dynamite. And as you might recall, you know, Rex was the local dojo owner in Preston who uh, is out to teach small town Idaho how to defend, you know, with the strength of a grizzly, the reflexes of a puma, and the wisdom of man. Bow to your sensei! Okay. You know, his martial arts studio is called Rex Kwon Do. And yeah, it's one of the code names for a special project we'll be talking about today. And one last thing before we jump into the episode, uh, maybe an important disclaimer. Neither Brian and I are LEGO employees. Uh, we were both commissioned by the LEGO group to examine and document the history of LEGO games spanning over the last 25 years. And almost smack in the middle of the LEGO group's rich history timeline in games, uh, we find today's story. So enjoy. So let's dive right in, Brian. Um, today we're going to talk about the world's biggest video game I think there is, right? Yes, uh, it is in many ways the perfect Lego game. Uh, I, I think children and adults are dropped into this open world mm -hmm. where they can tear apart or build with pieces of the world around them. Mm -hmm. And really the only limitation is their imagination. Right. But, but it turns out that despite how perfect a fit this game is mm – -hmm. It's not actually a world made of Lego bricks. Instead, it's it's actually Minecraft. Yep. Um, and it wasn't the Lego group that made Minecraft, of course, but rather a single developer in Sweden. So since its launch in 2009, Minecraft has become the single most popular video game in history. The studio, Mojang, was purchased by Microsoft back in 2014 for $2.5 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. And the game continues to thrive on old and even new gaming platforms. Yeah. But what if things had gone a little differently? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. But back before Minecraft exploded in popularity, rising to near ubiquity, the developer actually reached out to the Lego group about teaming up to create a Minecraft Lego game. There was even talk within the Lego group itself about buying Mojang. Hmm. So what happened and why is this a sort of interesting story that actually starts decades before Minecraft was even a glimmer in the eye of its creator? So for about as long as the Lego group has been making video games, they've been after this ideal, this idea of... Something maybe roughly defined, but but something also really crystal clear for them. It's the perfect Lego video game, right? It would empower players to build, uh, energize their creativity through a simple construction system or tool. And, and it would provide a safe digital sandbox within which to play. Perhaps most importantly, it would deliver the player to a world where Lego bricks were limitless, right? As, as long as they existed in the real world, they would be available in digital form without any limitations. 
You and I talked to Daniel Mathiasen, who's a former Lego employee and is currently the general manager at FRVR. And uh, he talked to us about this ideal that the Lego group was chasing. It was one of the early digital concepts. You can even go back to some of the early Lego media days, very early, pre-2000, I think, and see some uh, some concepts there where our colleagues at the time were exploring that it kind of became like a holy grail for the Lego group. And in that sense, I think also a part of it is uh, what was making it difficult was that people saw it as, as one thing. So trying to hunt that experience, that product, that that one thing that was uh, a digital creative experience. But that was definitely what we were trying to do in the company, trying to find that one concept that we could bring out to, uh, to the kids. Yeah, chasing and trying to find that one concept was was something that the Lego Group was really after. And Paul Smith-Meyer, who was an employee with the Lego Group for a long time and is currently the marketing director at Playfinity, talks about what the Lego game and play experience could be. The notion of a sandbox game wasn't yet there, but uh, the Lego play itself was like a sandbox game in reality. Uh, the dream at the time was uh, really to find a way of importing physical Lego models into the virtual world and then being able to experience them there. So for instance, building a racing car and then sitting inside that car and racing around in the Lego world. Yeah, so if you look at the early history of Lego games, you can't help but notice that many of those titles seem to lean into this notion of exploration and building, even if it's on a rudimentary level. So take, for instance, Lego Island's ability to roam the game's tiny community or Lego Creator in its, in its efforts to give players the ability to snap Lego pieces together in a game. These different elements of an open world sandbox construction Lego game seem to always be at least in the peripheral of the Lego group's vision. That came a bit more into focus in the early days of LEGO Universe, uh, a creation that would go on to focus more on delivering a massively multiplayer online adventure game. Some of its early roots actually explored the idea of creating a vast digital world rife for exploration and LEGO brick building. And during sort of the tail end of that development before it launched, there was this uh, addition of the ability to kind of create your own little island and then use it to do a lot of building and construction and sharing. We had been working on the LEGO Universe, and earlier on in LEGO Universe, there was a direction which we called Happy Flower. This is Paul Smith-Meyer again. Which was really to provide the tools of making the game to the players themselves. So it was a sandbox experience. Uh, but the direction uh, at the time was moved towards something more like World of Warcraft, which was at the time the big game. So it's only later uh, that we realized, at least I saw, that there was something called Minecraft out there. So Paul Smith-Meyer here, obviously talking about LEGO Universe, which was announced as a branded MMO LEGO game in June of 2007. And as we talk about in an upcoming episode, the team at NetDevil proceeded to prototype and develop the game for years internally. And what Paul's talking about here, Happy Flower, is actually the IDE game editor platform that was used for the adult fans of LEGO community to build and create with digital bricks for LEGO Universe. And then obviously, like Paul mentioned, uh, LEGO Universe was kind of shifted uh, during the game development and pushed into a more MMO story-driven direction. But, you know, while all this was going on, meanwhile, a little-known Swedish developer began crafting a pet project in his spare time using Java. And when it first hit in May 2009, Minecraft didn't receive a lot of attention, but uh, obviously that would change very, very quickly. So by 2009, LEGO Universe had been in development for nearly two years and was well down the path towards delivering an action-based online game. And when Minecraft hit and developers started to take notice, it grabbed the attention of more than a few inside the LEGO group. So the initial thought I had when I saw Minecraft for the first time was, uh, this is the LEGO experience in an online world. Paul Smith-Meyer again. This is really the endless possibilities you have with uh, when you have infinite bricks and you can do whatever you want and build whatever you want, that is Minecraft. So the initial reaction to seeing Minecraft was really, this is something that we were working on. This could have been the Lego experience. And so it was, uh, it was kind of a little bit mad, actually. 
And when you say that, do you you're referring to the work you were doing at Lego Universe? Yeah, referring to Lego Universe and that uh, that development that we we didn't trust ourselves enough to make a sandbox game. We didn't believe that was cool enough. So we wanted to go more the battle route, the more storyline route. So we didn't actually trust the, the Lego DNA enough to, to launch that experience. And then seeing that Mojang launched the experience was, uh, you know, it was kind of looking at back at ourselves and saying, you, we should have done this. Someone who was also at the front lines in developing Lego Universe was Danny Bergman. Uh, he's currently with Lego Games, and he also talked about his reaction to uh, Minecraft. Yeah, it, it was in, uh, you know, 2009, I believe, uh, where the first, like, you know, versions came out from uh, from from Notch, right? Um, and I think we noticed it right off the bat because, of course, it got a lot of attention in the gaming space, too, uh, from this being this... You know, I guess also the first real survival game in, in the space. Uh, and then also, so I think we noticed it at that point, of course. But then also as we, as the as the years go by and, you know, we get into 10 and 11 and, and we see that kids really, you know, takes this in and really likes the freedom of, of uh, and the simple building uh, of that of that system that uh, that he's created in Minecraft. I think that's where we really started noticing it. So while Minecraft continued to thrive with Marcus Notch Person releasing an alpha and then a beta in 2010, Lego Universe didn't launch until the tail end of 2010. Its timing, which was complicated with the lingering death of MMOs at the time, uh, a drop in an interest in subscription games, and this push towards digital releases and away from physical copies, all helped to contribute to an ultimate closure of the game in 2012. It's, it's back to the point about the Holy Grail. This is Daniel Mathiasen speaking. People wanted Lego Universe to uh, to have a chance and uh, and not be disturbed by anything else. And uh, at the time, we started to see that it would be very hard to get Lego Universe to a commercial success. And Minecraft was a uh, was really early days, so uh, it didn't have the kind of numbers that you would be looking for traditionally in an IP or in a game from uh, from Lego. But it was uh, growing fast, and it uh, had a, a loyal fan base already. But around the time Notch released the first retail version of Minecraft in 2011, he also reached out to the Lego group with an interesting proposition. Long a fan of the toys, which he at at times has said inspired his creation of Minecraft, Notch was pursuing a lifelong dream, which was to work with the Lego group. Now, we spoke with Daniel Kaplan, who was employee number one, the first person hired by Notch, even before Notch created the company Mojang. He talked with us about their passion for the Lego brick and the chance they may have to work with the company and some of the effort they went to to try to get in touch with someone over there. We didn't have any contacts at the Lego group when I started. Uh, we met with another guy, Notch and I, and he knew a couple of folks over at the Lego group when we told him that uh, we were very keen on getting in touch with them because the dream project of ours would be to actually create a Lego branded game. Uh, in the similar vein as Minecraft. And he helped us get in touch with the Lego group and the Lego management over there. Uh, But it took quite a long time before we uh, hit home and found the right people because obviously Minecraft wasn't as big as it is today. So it was hard for them to grasp as well that uh, if this was a thing or not, or just a fluke. Um, So I completely understand their reasoning uh, in terms of, you know, not jumping on the possibility or opportunity of working with us. Uh, but it, um, yeah, it took quite some time before we got in touch with the right persons at the Lego group. So the first meeting we had, uh, Notch and I spent uh, quite a long time talking about that, uh, about that motivation. Again, Daniel Mathiasen speaking. And it was nostalgia for, uh, for Notch. Um, he was telling us the story about his Lego bricks in the drawer in his childhood home and uh, his fond memories. And he hadn't set out to uh, to build Minecraft as any kind of uh, uh, Lego experience, but it had dawned on him while he was working on Minecraft that the, the power of the Lego experiences he had had as a kid. And uh, and he he really really wanted something to uh, to happen between our two companies and bringing out some some great experience. A Lego was a huge inspiration for Minecraft, and uh, we talked a lot about the Lego group and uh, its influence on us and on the game as well. And I mean the 
similarities are quite uh, easy to see. Uh, right. <laughs> it's the whole like block brick system uh, that yeah. Minecraft utilizes as well, that the Lego group invented. So Notch's excitement around the project, which was codenamed BrickCraft at the Lego group and Rexquando by Notch, was obvious. He even tweeted about it a bunch of times. And in some of those early tweets, he talks about the progress of the game and seems elated that this prototype that he was working on had been greenlit by the Lego group. Twitter handle at Notch. September 5th, 2011, 8.19 a.m., Secret Project Rex Quando begins today. It will involve caffeine and giggling. There were a lot of high fives and a lot of coffee and a lot of uh, dreaming going on for sure. Uh, we, we were super, super excited. I can't. It's hard to describe because we were just so blown away about us having the opportunity of working on something that we thought was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's cool to hear Daniel Kaplan remember the amount of excitement at Mojang over Project Rex Quando. So Brian, let's let's talk a little bit about the gameplay in Minecraft and and Brickcraft. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I mean, it is I I I think it would be fair to say that probably everybody has pretty much heard of Minecraft and maybe yeah. they've even seen it or played it. Yeah, unless you live on a different planet, you've you right. know, you've got to have seen Minecraft at some point. Right. And and one not created by Minecraft. <laughs> but <laughs> so basically when you go into this game, it auto generates a world for you. The world yeah. is made out of little pieces. They're not Lego studs, but what they are are little one they look a little bit like one by one bricks. Yeah. So they're material and sometimes that material can be grass or it can be stone or it can be lava yeah. or sand, but they're all shaped up by these bits, these one by one bits and you're yeah. dropped into this world and you have a little a little uh, pickaxe yeah. and you could go around and dig your dig tunnels or completely level an area and all those resources that you're digging up kind of go into your bag and then you can use those resources to then go build things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you've played this game, there, there are two ways to play it. You can play it in an exploration mode where you don't have to worry about any dangers. You can also play it in a, in a, in a survival mode where yep. when the sun goes down, things, creepy things come out after you, one of which is called the creeper, by the way. Exactly. So you, it's really this interesting thing that even someone who has never played a game, you're dropped into this and within five minutes you're having fun and building things, which is very much like playing with Lego And bricks. also like within five minutes, you kind of start understanding it, right? I mean, it, it's it's really remarkable how intuitive it is. And then the, the gameplay aspect, I think, is this kind of threat that at any time you're, you know, what you constructed can be destroyed. Um, you can be attacked by spiders, zombies, creepers, whatever, you know. And so, so it's, it really has these great strategy elements as well in this almost like sandbox experience, I would say. Right. And, and what's interesting, those two modes that you have, one does feel, even though it's very loosely sort of modeled after a storyline, it does feel a little bit more like you have end goals. The other one feels like somebody just gave you a bucket of Lego bricks and yeah. and said, you know, maybe that bucket of Lego bricks has already snapped onto a platformer into a big shape. But they mm -hmm. ba basically said, here's a bunch of Lego bricks, take them apart and build something. Of course, it wasn't Lego bricks. And that was sort of the thing. Uh, well, Notch acknowledged that mm -hmm. Lego bricks had a huge influence on him in designing this game. It wasn't a Lego game. Mm -hmm. And so when when they started talking together and came up with this idea of BrickCraft, uh, the early concept was essentially to take the Minecraft design and gameplay loop and then add the Lego brick aesthetic to it. Yeah. And one of the key shifts was moving away from that one-by-one -one bit design. So where Minecraft, if you were to convert that completely over to Lego bricks, Minecraft would be just those one-by-one -one bricks. And, and what L the Lego group and what Mojang wanted was something that included all of us, this sort of eclectic, diverse mix of Lego bricks that you could build with, which makes the game obviously a lot more complex, uh, but it provides you with more resources and variety of shapes, essentially all the stuff found in Lego bricks. We talked a little bit with Daniel Kaplan about some of that work on the prototype and what Notch did to try and recreate that feeling. I mean, that was the prototype. Like, just let's start with very, very few pieces and see if it works. Uh, because we knew that Lego was or is way more complex in terms of uh, placement 
of um, the units of bricks. And that was something we found that was very elegant with Minecraft was that it was only like one by one bricks in comparison to the Lego group, it's uh, quite complex and vast uh, library of bricks. And Marcus uh, actually built the first prototype completely by himself uh, with uh, various Lego bricks as a template for the game. And uh, he managed to create a prototype uh, that generated uh, terrain with the various Lego bricks and uh, FPS control uh, camera where you could run around and uh, place bricks in various places and uh, have various options of how to place the bricks. Now, when you showed this to the Lego group, what was their response? Did they want to pursue this? Yeah, yeah, and that and that prototype got the greenlit at the Lego group. Uh, so what we started to do then was actually to hire people for that project. Um, so I was the producer from our side on the Rexquando project, and we hired two new developers. Uh, two new coders that would help us on the project because we couldn't use the uh, prototype that Marcus uh, produced to create a proper game. So we actually started to build a game engine specifically for the Lego game. Twitter handle at Notch. September 7th, 2011, 9.15 p.m. Great progress on Project Rex Quando today. This is the clearest screenshot I can show. September 8th, 2011, 7.55 p.m. Huh. Project Rex Quando isn't fun to play at the moment. Analyzing why is challenging and interesting. November 29th, 2011, 6.05 p.m. Rex Quando is probably going to start in two to three weeks. December 5th, 2011, 9.35 p.m. In other news, looks like Project Rex Quando got greenlit. Four big grin emojis. June 19th, 2012. Remember Project Rex Quando? We canceled it to focus on Minecraft, scrolls, and eventually tend to the sea that we own 100% ourselves instead. Yeah, so there you have it. All of those kind of cleverly read tweets between September 7th, 2011 and June 2012. And then that final kind of abrupt tweet in there, you know, June 19th, stating that the Rex Quando project was over, finished, canceled. And, uh, you know, this this seemingly sudden decision by Mojang to back out of the project was was both heartbreaking to those involved at the Lego group, but also not a total surprise, as uh, Daniel Mathiasen pointed out in a conversation about some of the issues that uh, may have killed the project. It became um, a legal mess on, uh, on our side of the table. It was back to big corporations and small uh, companies uh, not being able to work together. So our legal team emphasized a lot of things that were in the grand scheme of things, wouldn't matter. Like looking back and seeing the epic nature of uh, uh, of what Minecraft has become and uh, driving force in uh, kids' culture in itself, like listing out the hurdles that the Lego group put up for for this would be ridiculous. Like strategically, they would not matter at all. And it's it's one of the things that I'm. Uh, when looking back at, the, at my leadership impact and what I, could I have done anything different? Should I have pushed through? Should I have insisted more in, in driving it through? But it was, uh, uh, it was like little details that messed it up. And uh, in the end, understandably, uh, Mojang just said, we can't waste our time of this. The opportunity cost of sitting and, uh, and discussing these things, uh, we, we, just, we will never get to what is important, which is making great experiences for, uh, for the kids. Yeah, we had noticed that it was a lot of management and a lot of middlemen at the LEGO group, and it was hard to understand what was okay to do and was not okay to do. This is Daniel Kaplan again, giving us his version of why he felt the LEGO deal fell apart. I think the main issue was that who was actually designing the game. Uh, we always thought that we were the designers and the product owners of the game. And the LEGO group, I guess they thought they were the... Um, designers and product owners of the game. <laughs> so I guess it was yeah. a bit um, a miscommunication in terms of 
who was running the project because at one point we felt more like consultants rather than uh, the ones running the project. And we thought we had like creative uh, freedom in whatever we wanted to do with the Lego franchise. But it was uh, apparently, and still, I guess, a lot of rules on what you can do and not do with the bricks that we had no knowledge of before signing uh, the contract. And that was something that unfolded while uh, working with the Lego team. It was just that our teams were so different and we were a very tiny company and a Lego group who had a lot of people uh, just to manage uh, this project that we were working on. And we felt that um, it was the wrong way of making games, in our opinion. Um, and that was, I think that was the core thing that made it really hard for us to continue working on the project's uh, project because we felt that uh, we could not uh, meet their demands and uh, create the product they wanted and because it didn't match with what we wanted to do. So it's more about that. And we were still excited even till the day we ended the cooperation. Right. Uh, yeah. So it was just very unfortunate that it never happened. But the, what can I say? The, the idea of working on a Lego game was still very exciting for the whole uh, company. The creative differences that Daniel Kaplan talks about between Mojang and the Lego group, uh, to me, also seems like a major factor in the project being dismissed quickly. And, and Kaplan goes on to explain. For instance, like one thing we wanted to do was to add scratches to the pieces, to the Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. And that was something we got a lot of uh, um, pushback from Lego. They were like, oh, no, we can't show pieces being scratched. And we were like, but all Lego pieces in every box are scratched. And they, they had this facade on how they want to uh, people to look at them, that they were very keen on keeping. And we wanted to try to represent Lego how it is actually in in kids' bedrooms, basically, yeah. or playrooms. Uh, but they were very much against that. Right. Uh, the questions I had for them, like, okay, when can we get the specifications of the minifig so we can implement them? And we wanted to try to, you know, make sure they were animated like stop motion animated, basically like the Lego movies, you know, the stop motion animated. And you can, uh, in your mind, see that someone was basically holding the minifig with their fingers and jumping around with it. And we wanted to simulate that in the, in the game as well. Man, I love that idea of putting minifigs in the game and including that sort of animation. So Daniel, what were the bigger plans for this sort of mashup of Minecraft and Lego bricks. It was definitely to create an adventure game at the end of it, uh, basically what Minecraft is today, uh, with a vast majority of different kind of biomes and enemies and um, cultures and stuff like that, because the Lego group has a vast uh, library of stuff they've been building throughout the years. And we definitely wanted to replicate all that and create cities, create jungles, pirate ships, and all those kind of things that we had uh, lived through uh, during our young years as Lego builders. So yeah, that was the idea, to make an adventure game out of it. Yeah, and that's, that's probably one of the big factors playing into this, right, Daniel? So, so the fact that the Mojang team and, and you were kind of up and coming, you know, Minecraft hadn't really exploded yet. Any of all these ideas about how to incorporate the Lego themes and bricks and, and are super excited. And, and, and the way you describe it, it kind of feels like um, you as these new up and coming game developers, you know, without a smash hit yet, uh, were kind of maybe even pat on the head a little bit by the Lego group. Um I mean, is that something you feel like maybe happened here as well? For sure, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they did. I don't think Lego, the Lego guys, took us seriously um, uh, because, and we didn't understand maybe completely either how big Minecraft could be. Yeah, and that was why we jumped on the opportunity as well to work with the Lego group uh, because, as you know, back then there weren't a lot of games who survived for more like a month after release, right. and we had no idea for how long Minecraft would survive. We were just super happy that it kept on selling every day. And we had, uh, I mean, our estimates were wrong every time because they were based on <laughs> traditional uh, game industry right. uh, forecasts. 
And so uh, obviously the end result here was that there was tension, you know, between the two companies and, and ultimately, uh, you know, Notch lost passion for the project and, and pulled the plug. And, and Daniel Mathiasen, who, you know, was really trying to kind of salvage this deal, talks about some of the factors that may have contributed to that pulling of the plug and uh, his personal take on it. They came in with uh, with a lot of energy and then the, the items that, that we, from a legal standpoint, have, have brought to the table to get any kind of paper in there. It's like we spent hours and hours on things that are unimportant in the grand scheme of things. But um, but it was important to the legal group at the time. So, And the way that a big company like that works is that uh, when, when the lawyers are, are in the driving seat, then it's really like you have to you have to push really really hard to uh, to overcome that uh, so it just became extremely tiresome for them to sit in it uh, for me uh, it was just something that we needed to get over with it's like i've been through that many many times before and uh, i just wanted to get some of those details out of the way so we could get to the fun part but uh, they they started realizing what it would uh, what it would take to uh, to drive that home and it was just the opportunity cost for them was just too great. When you first heard that this was going to not happen, what was your reaction personally? Uh, I was super, super disappointed in our ability to uh, to help Mojang become a success in a legal context. This was a very long time ago. I don't remember all the details. This is Daniel Kaplan speaking again. But it was in our office, and um, I think, uh, yeah, Notch just said, well, We'll end this project now. At the end of the day, I think uh, Marcus just got fed up with all the various rules that did not uh, sync with uh, his view and our view of how we want to make games. It was just a very different ways of you know looking at things. Were you aware, or was it a shock because Notch was the one who made the decision? Like how 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 aware were you that you were that close to walking away from the deal? I was not aware. No. It was more about Notch uh, deciding it, as far as I remember. I mean, I had talked with him about the various issues we had already, and that probably fueled him <laughs> to make the decision. Right. Uh, but I was not aware that it would be canceled at that time. Do you recall the reaction when when the decision was made by the Lego folks? I do not. I think, if I remember correctly, they got quite shocked and that we you know, took... A decision that bluntly and for them i guess it was just um the way of for them working and explaining how their brand works and what is okay to do and what's not okay to do um i think it was more like it's it's a negotiation yeah like everything else you talk about issues and you deal with them uh, but we weren't ready to deal with those kind of issues that early i guess so did you at all, you know, reach out to Daniel Mathiasen uh, with the Lego group at, at, at that time or, you know, get in touch with him? I've been actually keeping in touch with Daniel ever since. Uh, and he always <laughs> reminds me of how sad it was that we ended up not doing the project because he was very keen on it himself. And he had been working at Lego for quite a long time and he was very excited about it, too. Um, and he told me, like, uh, can't we try to fix this or like, is this completely a no and stuff like that and unfortunately it was and because i don't think the lego group would be changing themselves to accommodate to what we wanted to do um but yeah it was really sad and i, and I, I talked with daniel from time to time actually um so yeah Once that deal fell apart, a core group of people at the LEGO Group went back to the leadership with a new idea, buy Mojang. Well, the idea was, of course, if you can't beat them, join them. This is Ronnie Scherer, Senior Director at LEGO Games Asia Pacific, talking. You know, we, we didn't have anything that uh, resembled it at the time, and uh, it was growing in popularity. And so if there was a time to potentially either invest in or acquire uh, Mojang, it, it had to be around then. So yeah, Ronnie tells us here, you know, that the Lego group considered it, considered purchasing Mojang, but Microsoft's interest in the company and its ultimate 2.5 billion price tag obviously dissuaded the Lego group. So Minecraft was still not the success that it became. So it was still emerging. Right. 
And, and so there was, of course, no guarantee that it would end up becoming the cultural phenomenon that, that it became. I, I didn't and others didn't do a good enough job of conveying the potential significance and opportunity that would come along with an acquisition like that. We, we're not a company that, that, is, uh, that has a, a big history of acquisitions, especially not uh, successful ones. I mean, you are very familiar with the acquisition of Saudi Entertainment back in the late 90s. Right. That was shut down pretty quickly. Uh, Lego Universe, that was shut down really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, so we didn't have a great track record in, in you know, putting money into uh, acquisitions um, that, that, that we could sort of uh, look at as a great sort of benchmark for why we should do it. And, and this would have been by far the largest transaction that we would get involved in. Right. And so at the time, we did not have uh, the structure that we have today where we have a team called Lego Ventures that's all about investing in playful learning and digital play more broadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that, that, was, that, that did not exist at the time. So there was really no place to go with a, with a pitch like that. And, and it must have been a challenging pitch coming on the heels of what was going on with Lego Universe. Like, you go from Lego Universe, which was this enormous investment, uh, to something that had been shut down, you know, retroactively. Looking back, it now looks like it was shut down prematurely. But still, at the time, I'm sure it was seen as a failure. And then you go to them and say, okay, let's invest even more money in, in buying a studio. Was that, did that, do you think, play a role in that decision not to do it? Absolutely, but but it was also, of course, the big difference was that at this time, uh, Minecraft had started to pff, sort of show teeth and and uh, longevity. Uh, it, it it was not a big big thing yet, but but it was it was still on a different trajectory. Uh, the business model was was different. The cost structure, in particular, uh, like the operating cost structure for Minecraft, was much much. Uh, lower. It was much much simpler technical setup compared to what we built with uh, with Lego Universe. So months after Mojang walked away from the Lego Group deal, and the company decided not to acquire the Minecraft developer, the Lego Group was approached again by another interesting collaborator by Microsoft uh, for Project Spark. Tell, tell me a little bit about that, Brian. So Project Spark is an interesting thing, an interesting blip in the history of Microsoft and game development. Yeah. This was a game that was being created by a group called Team Dakota, um, and it was initially released as a beta to the public. And the idea was a, a little bit like what you found with Little Big Planet for mm-hmm. PlayStation and with Dreams for the PlayStation. And that was you were given this world that you were dropped into and you could create your own experiences. And that includes making your own games or movies or whatever you wanted to make. And and so it was this sort of creative environment. It was much more complex than Minecraft, but it mm-hmm. still had at its core the idea of creating things. Um, and and so it was, it was turned into a beta um, and initially actually released as, a, as an alpha, then as a, a beta. And then it was shut down. And, and that shutting down sort of happened right along the same time Microsoft purchased Mojang. And it seemed like they shifted their interest from Project Spark over to Minecraft. So while the Project Spark deal also fell by the wayside in terms of Lego Group and its participation, it didn't dampen the Lego Group's interest in creating its own take on an open world building exploration game. Mm -hmm. If anything, it it sort of seems like it had the opposite effect and it invigorated those on the team who really had been discussing these titles. few projects seemed to kick off right around that time. Uh, first, the Lego group went to developer Funcom and were working with them on a prototype that would have delivered a sort of digital shoebox experience. So essentially, players were given this ability to craft inside a small world of Lego bricks made inside this fish tank-like cube. 
Uh, so you would sort of set these parameters about how many bricks there were and if there was water and, and that sort of thing. And then you would build your own creations inside this world. And then when you were done, you would have this sort of uh, a Lego brick diorama that you could share with friends. It sounded like it was a really neat experience, but ultimately it was canceled. Around the same time, TT Games, which of course had quite a track record with its successful run of Lego games, started working on Lego Worlds. Uh, Lego Worlds, which obviously is a game that eventually was released, essentially delivered entire planets made of Lego bricks to players who could experience 3D procedurally generated worlds into a sandbox game. So you could drop in as a minifigure, explore this world, build uh, build your own creations again with, of course, with Lego bricks and, and have that sort of almost Minecraft-like experience. Uh, while it was an ambitious effort, uh, unfortunately, it, it just didn't have the level of success they were hoping to see. Um, and, and there are some inside the Lego group who wondered if the company just wasn't taking enough chances with its gaming efforts. Uh, so I asked Danny Bergman uh, about his thoughts on that. So hindsight, I think we should, we should have been a little more bold and, and probably have jumped on something else than just Warner GT. Um, because I think we kind of know what we're going to get with Warner GT and which, which yeah, we know what we're going to get, but we, we, and I, think, I don't think we had the, I don't know if it's bravery. We, we didn't have the, the guts to, to jump into this, uh, Microsoft adventure or even the Mojang, um, I think, I think it was just, it was just, just felt a little more safe. Uh, was it the right decision? Uh, no, I don't think it was because, you know, we didn't ultimately get what we wanted um, out of it. And then we're still here, you know, seven years later, and we still don't have a, a mobile version that is somewhat close to, uh, to Minecraft, um, still being worked on by Warner and TT. So each missed opportunity at creating a game that, you know, like Minecraft can perfectly capture the essence of what it means to be a LEGO video game comes with a sense that the LEGO group won't give up on its efforts, even as it examines its own history for how to do better. A lot of people that, you know, are working in the game industry and, and work with LEGO games has, has always had that desire, right? We always wanted to create that game that has a creativity in, at the heart of it and you know have a system and you can create stuff and you can share stuff this is danny berkman speaking but i also think there's been a you know our tt adventure has kind of you know given us that that success um uh, and i think ultimately think that's probably also the reason why we, we chose to go with warner and tt because lego games equal warner and tt games right for many many years and still to this date, right? We're still trying to a little bit break out of that um, perception of a, what a legal game is. Um, we all we all felt that we should have been doing that game, right? That it was the if the one game we should have been doing as the legal group, that's that's Minecraft. But I think there's a lot of other games that is also legal, right? Uh, and I you know I, I don't think it's the only game that Lego should be creating. I think Lego has you know a, is you know a very varied brand and can can hold a lot of different games, a lot of different experiences. I think trusting the fundamental experience of the LEGO brick is something that has been a challenge for the LEGO group in the past 25 years. Here's Paul Smith-Meyer again speaking. And it seems that daring to go back and restart at the core with basic brick building and, and free creativity is something that keeps coming up, but we never dare to do. And I think that's going to be the challenge also moving forward, that it's easy to replicate something that is a story using Lego Brace, and it's very successful looking at the IP. But it still doesn't mean that the Lego group shouldn't pursue going back to the roots as a path moving forward. When you when you think about again looking back and sort of hindsight, why do you think it was that the Lego Group wasn't the company that made Minecraft or, or something like Minecraft? I think we didn't believe we were cool enough just as bricks, and that seems to be the challenge uh, still. 
that is kind of afraid that all oh, this generation of kids, they are into Fortnite or the next generation of kids will be into a new game. And we're always afraid that we are not cool enough just being a free creative brick world. But if you look at the Lego fan community, they're still exploring the potential of the Lego brick every day. And I think a world where Lego fans, young and old, can meet and just be creative and it shaped the world in their own image, that would be a true Lego digital experience. For me, I still, um, when I think about it, I, I still, it is uh, some of my biggest failures working at the Lego group is that I didn't put my foot down enough to say we need to do this. And uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's the thing I come back to. And when I see the fish tank, for instance, in uh, the Lego house, I'm like, ah, oh, I, I knew this was good. <laughs> I felt it was good. I could see it with the kids. Yeah. And, and I, I just, it saddens me that it isn't that um, believe in free creativity. Uh, which is the reason why the Lego group is there in the first place. How about you, Daniel? Um, do you feel like there's still this desire to create this holy grail game at the Lego group? Oh, yeah. As you can hear in my answers, I'm probably still the inspirer <laughs> sometimes. Um, Again, Daniel Mathiasen speaking. Yeah, the, so the desire is still there, and there are some really nice uh, experiments going on within the Lego group, both from uh, from how to drive innovation with the Lego Ventures team that's doing an, an excellent job in uh, in trying to drive like outside uh, in innovation. There are some nice experiments in uh, in the games team. Yeah, there are uh, in different places in Lego. There are still uh, some really uh, really nice. Uh, experiments going on in uh, in this field and and we have like in the time that I was in, in the Lego group we grew the the people driving innovation in this area from a handful of people to uh, yeah today there's probably a couple of hundred people driving innovation in this area so a lot of things uh, have happened and is happening <laughs> so yeah stay tuned for more great stuff from uh, from those guys Yeah, it's it's fascinating to kind of go through this process of of finding out where things could have diverged from from the launch of Minecraft and its ongoing success to sort of this Project Spark idea. But I think it's also important to remember how invested the people are making those decisions. Um, Danny Bergman talks a little bit about the fact that this wasn't just sort of something that had to be processed on an intellectual level, but something that really did affect them and impact them emotionally because they were so invested in this idea of, of not only working with Mojang, but even before that, creating this game that so perfectly ref reflects the ideals of LEGO gaming. You know, we're still trying to break out of the, you know, game seen as marketing or game seen as a licensed business um, mindset that we have, right? We still haven't... Uh, really embraced that it's a it's a craft it's a thing that we need to uh, invest in uh, and i think that's ultimately i think that's the, that's the reason right is that we haven't actually invested in it um, we're still trying to get other people to create it for us from an outsider's perspective and and this could obviously not be accurate but it seems to me that the single most impactful creation that wasn't made by the Lego group has been Minecraft in terms of how it's viewed by people inside the Lego group. Do you think that's fair to say? Do you, is there sort of, has has the creation of Minecraft or something like it been sort of the single thread that kind of runs the course of Lego games history? Yes. I, yes, I think so. Um we started way before Minecraft, right? So I think right. there's already the desire to do something creative. We just didn't nail it. You know, Minecraft nailed it, and then it, you know, well, Notch didn't really make it for kids, but kids really had got drawn to it, right? And that's where 
That's why we also make Lego Minecraft products, products today, right? Because it has an appeal to kids, um, which is also kind of weird, right? We're making Lego Minecraft and it's kind of a, a circle thing, um, you know. Um, but that's what we do, right? We, we, we can do... I, I remember the first time I saw the Lego Minecraft uh, sets, right? It's just really kind of really weird that we as Lego take a digital representation of Lego, puts it in a box, put a building instruction to it, and then you get a physical pro product, right? That's kind of <laughs> right. sets, sets it all a little bit, right? Yeah. It's very meta. <laughs> it's very meta, and it's also very... It's like uh, a little bit of the, the defeat to a certain yeah. extent, right? You can feel it. Right? It's like, yeah. come on, <laughs> really? <laughs> was there, was there, there must have been some sort of emotional reaction as word of Minecraft and its success spread through Lego games. Like, I'm assuming at some point people must have felt, uh, you know, I don't know, a gut punch or something when they saw that someone else had done this. Yes. Yes, and of course, you know, it was in the you know later stages of League of Universe, and of course, we saw it there, and you know, and then and then the Future Lab team and Ronnie, of course, was part of it, and you know, me and Ronnie, and you know, Ronnie ended up pitching Jan V and you know to to actually buy Minecraft, right, which also didn't pan out. Um, I guess I I think we are definitely hungry for a hit, right. We're definitely hungry for making you know something that really stands out and really get noticed in the company. Uh, we've been talking about that for uh, for many years, right? We want to you know, and you know, universe wasn't it? Uh, some of the other stuff wasn't it? Uh, but I think we 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 really hunger for that uh, that hit. That's not a an action adventure game from TT. Um, so yes, uh, I, I yeah, I think that's yeah. One of the questions I've been asking everybody is uh, one that <laughs> seemingly everybody doesn't have an answer for, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Why do you think the Lego group wasn't the company that first came up with a game that was essentially like Minecraft? Mm, good question. I think maybe it would require them to have too many people seeing different things and not letting people try out things. This is Daniel Kaplan speaking again. And I think that was the difference uh, with Minecraft. It was just Notch to begin with, and he just started doing stuff mm -hmm. and not waiting for getting a blessing from someone to do stuff. Right. And uh, I think it's just different way of how companies are structured and how you can start projects. Um, and I think like even Daniel uh, Mathieson uh, would need a lot of you know, help to even get the Lego project we were working on uh, to get it approved and get his time to work on it. And I think that's the sad part with big companies where it's, you think they should have like unlimited resources to try out new stuff, but they don't seem to. <laughs> I think Minecraft is the best Lego uh, digital experience you can get, um, definitely. There is nothing that can compete with it today, as far as I know. Um, and I really hope there will be a Lego uh, digital experience, but Minecraft is the closest thing we have right now. Wow. I love that. You know, time and time again, Brian, I, I hear that. I hear, you know, people at the Lego group, Lego employees, internal and external game developers, you know, they're all saying, you know, the game that Lego games should have really made is Minecraft. And that's just kind of this familiar, you know, circular discussion that, that continues. And, and, and it's really kind of understanding, I think, first of all, the significance of Minecraft as, as a sandbox play experience, where it really is about building and creating. And, you know, secondly, the fact that kids everywhere are playing it incessantly. Like, uh, I mean, it's a true cultural phenomenon. And when I think about, you know, my first reaction to Minecraft, uh, I had a similar reaction like, like some of the employees in the LEGO group. You know, I was in the throes of filming the behind the scenes of LEGO Universe, and I was really entrenched in looking at this, you know, polished world and understanding the makings of it and just the challenge it was to get it to the finish line, you know. And, 
just to finally be able to do what it wanted to do, to be an MMO game where you can build, create, and, and do all kinds of things while following a storyline of sorts. And, and when Minecraft came along and I saw this kind of, you know, 8-bit rendering, uh, these kind of choppy one-block worlds, uh, my first impression was, uh, oh my gosh, this, you know, looks retro and what is this? But, uh, but boy, man, did, did that ever take off? Uh, and I'm really inspired by, by what the culture accepted and, and how the culture ran with it. And matter of fact, if, if you look at, you know, the, the King's Landing recreation in Minecraft uh, that was built by, you know, like a hundred skilled builders, and you zoom out uh, to this bird's eye view from above, I mean, you can't tell the difference. I mean, it looks like these buildings are made from traditional Lego bricks. <laughs> And I find that fascinating. And this idea that LEGO Games has always been chasing this holy grail, this idea thereafter to create the ultimate game that would engage kids everywhere to do just that, you know, to, to build and create. Um, and this uh, ambition of LEGO Games, uh, it, it's not dead. It's, it's continuing. And it's something that we're going to be talking about extensively in our podcast series, this um, you know, reoccurring theme of this dream of bringing the physical into the digital and having fun and playing with it. And, and so for me, this is kind of the ultimate story of how close the Lego group came to having that thing, that game. But, but also learning here, you know, like the boldness it requires to just do it and, and, and to maybe not be bogged down by, you know, some of the complicated lawyerly interactions and musings. And, and even the super ambitious task of trying to get every single Lego brick into the gameplay experience. So, you know, a certain boldness and vision will be required for Lego games to move forward. But overall, I'm just completely in love with this story and this idea of how close and what a near miss this was. Mm -hmm. But also very positive about the future of Lego games and where they're headed now, based maybe on some of the lessons they've learned here. Yeah, it, you know, it is really fascinating. I, I remember when we first sort of unearthed this and talking to people, uh, that my first reaction was sort of, I, I was stunned. And I think my second reaction was I was sad because I really wish this had happened. I was lucky enough to play around with the prototype and even in its prototype form, it was a really fun, fun experience. Uh, but there's, a, yeah, there's a lot there. Minecraft in its own right has become this massive thing. It has its own conventions. It has an educational aspect. It's used in all of these different ways in, in much the same way that I think uh, the Lego brick and the Lego group is viewed. Um, I think the challenge was something that has been pointed out by several people that we interviewed, and that is, it was, you know, looking at it in hindsight, looking at it from a bird's eye view, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, of course they should do this. But if you get down into the thick of it and you look at the timing and, and what the Lego group was being asked to do, it makes sense that maybe this didn't work out. You know, the Lego group at that time was just getting off a massive project they were, they'd been working on for years uh, with NetDevil in, in Lego Universe. And so the idea that they would then quickly partner up with this really small group that was having some success, but really it hadn't blown up yet. Uh, that's uh, Mojang and, and Minecraft. It's understandable that there would be a lot of legalese and, and agreements that had to be signed. And then from the other perspective, the idea that uh, Notch and Mojang at some point were like, you know what, we don't, we don't want to deal with a big corporation. We want to be an indie group. We want to just be able to fire from the hip. Uh, so I, I could see why th those alignments didn't work out. Um, and it's unfortunate on, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I do think, as several of the people we talked to uh, noted, there's so much more out there to explore. I, I think that capturing what was Minecraft would have been a good idea, obviously before Minecraft came out or right as it came out. But I think rightfully so, the people at the Lego group have identified the fact that, you know, Minecraft nailed Minecraft. So we don't need to recreate that. We need to find another interesting and fascinating way to explore digital play and Lego bricks. And there are myriad ways of doing that. So that's what we're doing now. And I think that's what we hear from the Lego group. And I find that inspiring, that they, they can go through this tough journey 
of of almost landing these deals that could have been tremendous and and sort of learn lessons from it and then realize they need to now focus on the future and move forward. So I look I look forward to seeing what they do in the future and and how they create not the next Minecraft but the next Lego game that's amazing and unbelievable. Bits and Bricks is made possible by Lego Games. Our producer is Ronnie Scher. Your hosts are Ethan Vincent and Brian Crescente. Episode producing and editing by Ethan Vincent. Writing by Brian Crescente. Original music, sound design, and mixing by Peter Primer. Additional music provided by Hendrik Lindstrand from the award-winning game Lego Builder's Journey, which you can play on Apple Arcade today. We'd like to thank our participants, Daniel Mathiason, Daniel Kaplan, Danny Berkman, Paul Smith-Meyer, and Ronnie Scher. We'd also like to acknowledge the entire LEGO Games team, as well as the great folks at the LEGO Idea House for their support. For questions or comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. <laughs>